The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Welcome, family, to another fine episode of Walking Through the Big Book. I am your co-host. The Monty Man, and of course, uh, the one and the only Chris Schroeder. Hey, Chris. What's up, Monty? How are you doing? I'm doing so much better. Uh, was feeling under the weather there last week. We had to uh, 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 play the best of, so to speak. And I had a bron- bronchial infection, but uh, now I'm all better. Just a little bit of a cough. So uh, are you staying healthy out there, man? I am. I, I haven't been sick yet, so I'm I'm knocking wood. Yeah. Well, you got you got to stay healthy because uh, we get so much out of what you have for us. And speaking of that, my friends, let me give you our email address if you ever want to comment, uh, uh, like to. Uh, uh, complain or praise, either one. We enjoy both. <laughs> and that is Take12Radio at Comcast.net. And you can click on our contact link, too. And uh, we are in the chapter, How It Works, are we not? Yes, we are. We're at the bottom of page, page 60. All right, man. Well, without further ado, let's go. Okay. Last, uh, two, two weeks ago, the last show... What we did is we covered um, how it works. Uh, how it works is read traditionally at a lot of um, support group meetings. And what we did was uh, we went back to the original manuscript version and then uh, to the current version. And I think uh, at least I got a better understanding of uh, what they were talking mm-hmm. about with that. We're going to pick it up. Um, we're going to pick it up after uh, the how it works that gets read so often. And at the bottom of page 60, it says the first requirement is that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Now, before that is, it says just what do we mean by that and just what do we have to do? So being con- convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him, just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? It's a very ambiguous, uh, you know, just turn it over. You hear... Just turn it over. You hear that until the cows come home. <laughs> I know. And a lot of times, if you go up to somebody and you ask them, hey, what do you mean by that? How do you turn it over? They have no more clue than you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there are some specifics in this book uh, that talk about the process of, of, of uh, turning one's will and one's life over uh, to God. Now, if you look at the term will and you turn it, look at the term life, Will can be looked at as your, your thinking. 
you know, the, the last will and testament is basically the last thinking of an individual and what they, what they want. Uh, uh, life is, is uh, basically your actions. You know, we're, we're judged by our actions. So if you turn your will and your life over to the care of God, it's, that means your thinking and uh, your actions. Uh, the first requirement to do that is that you need to, you need to really believe that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. This is where, this is where a lot of advisors or sponsors, uh, say, well, look, if you were, you know, if you, if you did not need a new manager, uh, you know, let's just look at your life. How's it been working for you? And most of the time, uh, the people that are working through the steps are, are in a crisis of one, one kind or another. A lot of crises come along with uh, alcoholism or drug addiction. And, you know, your, your life problems pile up on you that become astonishingly difficult to solve. A lot of things like that happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you need to be convinced that if you continue to, to steer uh, the boat, you're going to run onto the reef just like you have been. You know, we we keep thinking, oh, we'll do it right next time. Well, if we would have been able to do it right next time, next time would have happened a long time ago. So, so um, Chris, we need we need to true really. This is a requirement, Chris. To can, move I'm, forward. I'd like to ask. You think a, you can still do it yourself? Yeah. You really can't move on. Hey, Chris. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question here, uh, real quick. I, being convinced. Um, I think when I first read this book, I wasn't sure what, I mean, I knew what convinced meant, but I was like, oh, well, how am I convinced if I haven't read the book already? Uh, I'm not too, too sure. And somebody told me, and then I remember when we talked about uh, in the, the first part of this book, somebody told me, well, you need to stop and read the stories in the back. That may help you be convinced. And then I was. Sure. Whatever, whatever you need to do to yeah. get too convinced, to be convicted that uh, that you need uh, you need guidance in your life. Yeah. Whatever you need to do, um, some sometimes you, you need to go back and and reread uh, the first sixty pages because <laughs> uh, you know sometimes you need to read the stories. So sometimes you need to tell your story. Sometimes uh, you just need to, to to hear other people share their experience. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where whatever it takes to get to sure. convinced. But if you're not convinced that you need you know some serious guidance in your life, then I just don't see that you're going to move uh, through the any, rest of the step yeah. with any conviction. Sure. Uh, on that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Now, uh, another exercise that I've used for uh, for this, if you look at uh, the next three pages or so, you know, starting at the first requirement, starting where we're starting tonight, you'll see that what what Bill does is he paints a beautiful picture of the self-centered, self-seeking alcoholic. He really nails us to the wall, and a lot of times we're not we're not going to recognize it. The first time I read this, I was in a treatment center. It was early 1989, and I was handed this by the counselor and told to read it. And I remember, I remember reading this part, thinking, you know, this is really true about my roommate. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was very, very difficult for me to uh, accept this as 
my operational platform, but it actually was. I mean, I was, you know, I was motoring along on selfishness and self, self-seeking. So a lot of times, like we did um, back in uh, uh, in the doctor's opinion, and a lot of times it's a, it's good to turn turn these statements into questions. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, um, uh, Monty, are you are you almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though your motors motives are good? You know, <laughs> you know, and you need to you need to honestly ask yourself: uh, Is this the case with me? Is this what my spiritual con- condition consists of? at this point in time is this what i'm working with right now uh-huh. because you know that's not it's not very good to be in collision with other people all the time most, most people try to live by self-propulsion every person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show is forever trying to arrange the lights the ballet the scenery and the rest of the players in his own way if his arrangements only stay put if only people would do as he wished the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. You know, I really love that description because it, it is really apropos. Uh, here I am. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm placed on this earth um, for whatever divine purposes uh, God has in store for me. And I'm living on selfishness and self-centeredness. I, I can't manage my own life. I'm alcoholic. Yet I'm running around deciding what the boss should do, what my, how my family should act, what, how my friends should be treating me. In, in other words, I'm, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm a bit player in this, in this game of life. Uh-huh. Yet I want to start rearranging all the rules and everybody's, uh, every, everybody's uh, task lists. Uh, I've got problems with everybody. It's, it's almost like if you were in a play, almost like going up to the director every five seconds and saying, no, 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 they should say this. No, I should do that. No, they should say that. It, it's unbelievably self-centered. Uh, yet that's how we operate. And we get resentful if people aren't playing the roles that we assign them the way we assign them. And we get frightened if, if, they, don't, uh, if they don't act the way we want them to act. And, and we're way too busy trying to manipulate other people than we are uh, trying to get to, to become better actors ourselves. Hey, Chris, can you, can you come by my house and explain that to my oldest son as it relates to his little brother? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't it, isn't it true, though, Mike? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. I do it today, it, yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, still, I still do it nowhere near as much as, as I used to. Right. Uh, you know, I used to know what everybody should be doing. <laughs> One of the greatest stories I ever heard was, uh, was from... Uh, from uh, Chuck C. out in California. Uh-huh. He ran around, he made all his amends, and after he made amends to everybody, he said, listen, I will never, ever ask you anything ever again in your life except one thing. If there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. And he never tried to manipulate or tell anybody what to do after that. I mean, I, you know, when I, when I first heard that story, I go, how is that even possible? To not, you know, jump in the middle of everyone's life all the time. Mm-hmm. How, how, how do you be a parent? How do you be a husband? How do you how do you be a family member? How do you go to work? How do you do anything if you if you if you don't tell people what to do? Uh, but it's actually possible, you know, to get through <laughs> life without telling everybody what to do. Yeah. 
in trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. You know, we might think we've got really good motives. No, really, I'm right. You know, you know if, you, if you would do it this way, everything would be great. Uh, he may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. That's the way I like to look at myself. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. So I'm going to get you to move around the playing field if I have to bring you flowers or if I have to point a gun at you. I am going to get you to move around the playing field. It's important for me to be manipulating my environment. You know, and that means you've got you to do what I want you to do. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think that life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. You know, that's what I thought. I said, I would, I would give you that maybe I didn't handle the situation as best as I could. But those guys, you know, I mean, it, it absolutely had to be somebody else's fault when I had problems in my life. It would have been way too inconvenient for my problems to be of my own making. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> don't give me the responsibility of all of my problems, please. <laughs> he becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? I I certainly was. You know, Monty, I I grew up, uh, and I really saw that I had the type of family that wasn't a very close family. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of all did our own thing. I mean, that was the impression I had of my family of origin. And then one day I realized that, that, you know, there was one more vacation coming up that they were all going on. Uh, you know, they were a very close family. They just weren't close to me. Yeah. <laughs> because bringing me along on vacation huh. or involving me in something, I'm going to make it about me. Uh, you know, there's going to be issues with how people are acting while we're on vacation or something. <laughs> so, you know, my family just kind of divorced themselves of me when it came to as as much as, you know, as much as they could when it came to me uh, – uh, me spending time with them. Did they ever point that out to you? No, I, I realized it in inventory one day. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they drive around the country with each other, you know. And, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I'm, I'm back in the fold. Uh, you know, please trust me, I'm the first invited now. But uh, but I just, I just could not believe people weren't seeing you know, that I really had the clue that everybody should have. <laughs> it, it, it was just amazing. And the alcoholic is, is like somebody who, you know, they'll get sober, and five minutes later they're wondering why everybody isn't following them, yeah. you know? Well, why, why, why isn't everybody listening to me? Uh, don't you understand I'm right? And, and again, it's, it's, the, it's the soul sickness. 
that really is what the problem is with alcoholism. The problem is being the actor wanting to run the whole play. That's what the problem is with the alcoholic. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the drinking. The drinking is a symptom of alcoholism. Yeah. It's a really bad symptom, you know, especially with low-bottom alcoholics. You can't drink yourself to death. But it's a symptom of the actor wanting to run the whole show. Being selfish and self-centered in nature is what's wrong with the alcoholic. The more selfish and the more self-centered you are, the more distance you have from God. Uh, and being distant from God is what uh, what the Catholic Church calls being in hell today. Mm -hmm. They've uh, they've they've uh, redefined you know the term hell by saying basically it's a separation from God. So the more selfish and more self centered you are, the more separated you are from the the spiritual power that really can can bring peace and happiness to your life. Uh, uh, let me ask you this: Don't you think? That and we talk about these things, uh, these uh, character defects, and all this stuff. That what really the problem is, and so forth. But don't you think that everybody is like that to some degree? I think I think selfishness and self centeredness can manifest in non alcoholics. Uh, absolutely, sure, absolutely. I think though that in the alcoholic or in the person who's uh, substance dependent. Yeah. I think it's a trait that's that's almost always um uh very very apparent. And I I think it's 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 something that they need to get over. Yeah. They need to uh uh they need to get to a point where they're not operating as selfishly as in, and self-centeredly as they have been to be able to recover. You know, the the human condition, you know, uh, the human nature is such that we're all prone to character defects. Uh, we all fall, fall short in word, thought, and deed every single day. But again, with the alcoholic, uh, these things can kill us. We don't have the option of being selfish and self-centered. Right. We want to recover. Yeah, and so that's that's the big difference I see too is, is that these things will take us out, and and we seem with the alcoholic we seem to put a magnifying glass on all this stuff. I mean, we just I mean the way we beat ourselves up or the way that we praise ourselves. <laughs> we, it's always in extremes. Yeah, the always we in do extremes. we do them in, do it in extreme. Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. Our actor, you know, and again, they're talking about us, you know, when they say our actor, they're right. being nice. Uh, our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He is like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all hope and is locked up. Uh, whatever we protest, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, our self pity, or our self pity? And you have to ask yourself that question: Is that really what's concerning you most? 
And it was for me. It was very difficult for me to see that because I didn't really know how those things presented. But when I look back at, at, at uh, you know, my last years of drinking and, you know, my first months of sobriety, all I could, all I could think about was my resentments, my self-pity, and myself. Everything was about me. Now, here, here is uh, an important paragraph. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. What, what is the root? I mean, think of a plant, think of a tree. You know, the, root, uh, the roots are basically what holds it up, what feeds it, and without those roots it would die. So, so, so the root of our troubles is selfishness and self-centeredness. It doesn't say the root of our troubles is drinking or the root of our troubles is drugs. Again, you and I have talked about this over and over again, Monty. The problem isn't necessarily drinking or using drugs. Mm-hmm. The the problem is, why do we have to? You know what I mean? Yeah, why are we yeah. compelled to? Yeah. Uh, and that comes from the selfishness and the self-centeredness. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellow, fellows and they retaliate. Now, I looked very, very deeply at this sentence one time. Uh, the person who was taking me, uh, taking me through the book at that point in time said, Chris, what does driven mean to you? Uh, and I thought of a time where I was coming back from the shore with a friend of mine. He was drunk out of his mind. He was in a blackout and just barely conscious. And for some reason, I'm in the car with him. And it was, a, it was an old Toyota Celica, if you remember those. Yes, I do. And we were, coming up, we were coming up the New Jersey Parkway, and he had it in fourth gear floored. This thing was going as fast as it would go. I think it was about 110 miles an hour, 105 miles an hour. Was, it was flat out. We didn't even stop for the toll booths. In other words, we went through we went through the twenty five cent toll booths <laughs> at one hundred and ten miles an hour, oh, no. and I am begging him to pull over, pull over, pull over. You know, I was afraid to do anything because we were going so fast. And finally, he was getting off an exit ramp, and he slid out, uh, and uh, you know, we slid off into a ditch, and uh, I was able to get out of the car. But that's what it was like being driven wow. by this guy. I had very little control, and it was very scary and very dangerous. When it says we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. What that's telling me is I, I, I'm not necessarily really in control of all this stuff. In other words, just recognizing that I'm selfish and self-centered is not going to be enough to get to the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. These, I am being driven by a hundred forms of fear. That's self-delusion. Good. You, you hear, you hear in support group rooms all the time. I'm in denial. Uh, 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 denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think. I don't think alcoholics have denial very often. Denial is basically you're sitting in a white room and uh, you know you know you, you you need to tell somebody it's not white. This room is not white. You know it's white but you're denying that it's white. What happens with the alcoholic is we're sitting in a white room and we think it's yellow. We really do think it's yellow, and we'll argue till our dying day that it's yellow, because we really think that. Mm. That's what being deluded is. So we're, we're, more, we're more apt to being deluded than we are to be in denial. Gotcha. Uh, we really think things are a certain way, and, they, and they're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and stepping on the toes of our fellows, a lot of times we don't recognize that we're stepping on the toes of our fellows. They may not like being moved around uh, on the stage and told how to play their part. And sometimes, uh, sometimes people retaliate. Sometimes people cause us problems. And we don't see that we set ourselves up. We're really, we're really, uh, the, the, we started the ball rolling. We placed ourselves in a position to be harmed. And we don't see that either. So that's another type of delusion. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Invariably. What does invariably mean? That means without variation. Mm. We find that at some point in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Our problems are of our own making, whether we think so or not. That's one of the reasons why I can't stand support group meetings where all people do is complain. They want to raise their hand, they want to update everybody on the problems they've had that day, and then, you know, they feel a little bit better, and then they move on. Uh, you know, recovery is about recognizing, recognizing and internalizing the fact that your problems are of your own making. Mm-hmm. You, you co-created every problem that exists in your life. You are, uh, you are at, at, at worst the co-creator, at best, you're the one that's causing all the confusion. And to, 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 to allow people to think that if they just share their problems, you know, that's going to make them that much less. Share, sharing is a good starting point. You, you, you should share with your spiritual advisor or you should share with, uh, with whoever's taking you through this work. But that's only the beginning. Uh, you need to recognize that your problems are of your own making because there's a lot of freedom in that. Mm-hmm. If you're responsible for all the problems in your life, that also means there may be a way out. If you're the one causing all your problems in your life, there's, there's maybe a way you can stop causing problems. Mm-hmm. If it really is everybody else out there that's at fault, you don't have a prayer or change in everybody else out there. You would be trapped. Coming to the realization that you're responsible for your own problems is actually a very freeing perspective because it means there's some hope. Maybe maybe you don't need to cause confusion and and, uh, uh, unhappiness all around you. Maybe there's a way out of it. Wow, that's great. I never looked at it that way before. That's, That's excellent. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. <laughs> you know, when you're first working with somebody, he, 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 you know, every once in a while, they'll come up with a really lame four-step or something. They just don't get it. They don't, they don't see all the confusion and, and discord they're causing in their lives. Uh, so we usually don't think that we're uh, self-will run riot, uh, but, but we are. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. Important warning. Kills us. That is a very important warning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even say, it doesn't say that booze will kill us. It says that selfishness will kill us. 
how do we how do we become unselfish? Well, God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without His aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. You know, I had moral convictions. I had philosophical convictions. I read a lot of the philosophers and the Bible and all kinds of stuff, and I understood the the, the, the commandments and the, the Beatitudes. I knew all that stuff, but there's no way I could live up to it because right. I was so selfish. If there was a if there was a left hand turn that would get me something and a right hand turn that would be, would be the right thing to do, more often than not I would go left because I wanted something right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness by by much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Let's say you've you've admi- you've admitted uh, or you've come to the realization, uh, Monty, uh, you know, at that that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of your troubles, and you don't think you need God. What I what I would do, and what I've done with many many people is, I'll say, okay, you don't need God. All right. From now on, don't be selfish and don't be self-centered. Starting right now, go. And, <laughs> and see how long it's going to last. Yeah. See how far you're going to get. Right until you pull out of the driveway and somebody cuts you off, you know, or you get <laughs> home and your roommate hasn't done the dishes or, or whatever. You, you can't just not be selfish if it's been part of your nature for so long. You need to have God's help. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, do we ever. Do we ever. So this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. All right, that's a directive. We need to stop playing God. How do we play God? We play God by trying to move other people around uh, around the stage, uh, we're, by being the actor who wants to run the whole show. How do we know whether whether God is helping to direct those other uh, those other actors or not? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do we do. know what's right and what's wrong? How do we know what's good and what's bad uh, for everybody and everything? What you know? Who who appointed us, God? You know, so one of the first things you have to have to start doing, or or asking God for help with, is is bossing everybody around. You know, knowing better than everybody else about everything. Uh, that needs to that needs to be addressed. Next, we decided uh, that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. There's there's three there's three relationship uh, directives in the third step. Another mistake I see people making all the time is they think saying the third step prayer is taking the third step. Yeah, no, it's it not. It really yeah. isn't. The third step prayer is an affirmation prayer. And an affirmation prayer is basically you're affirming something that you already already believe. Uh, so um, so, so uh, to say the third step prayer, you do that after you've become convinced of all these things. Mm. Otherwise, it's kind of an empty prayer. Uh-huh. So if God is going to be the director, what does that mean? That that means that we need to seek through um, uh, seek through guidance, uh, seek God's guidance in matters that pertain to our life. That really comes uh, in a huge way in step eleven, seeking seeking direction through prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. God is going to be the principal. We are His agents. What does that mean? That's another relationship directive. 
Well, let's think of think of uh, say think of a, a, a life insurance agent. Uh, the life insurance agent knows the rules, is, is uh, empowered by the home office, and as long as he plays by the right rules, as long as he does everything legally and according to the business plan for the life insurance company, he can go out and he can sell insurance, and that insurance will protect families if loved ones die. So he's empowered by the home office. If we live along spiritual lines, we are being empowered by the home office which is God, to go out and do our business. Not by our, not by our own power. No, no, we're going to be safe and protected. I, that, that comes in step 10, yeah. being safe and protected from, uh, from alcohol. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. I think everybody understands what a parent's role is. Mm-hmm. A parent's role is, is to bring, bring uh, uh, the child into existence, to, to nurture it and keep it safe and protected, and to try to teach it how to live. Uh, you know, that's what, that's what God does with us in many mysterious ways. I think certain lessons come our way until we learn them, you know. Sure, and, sure. Um, and we need to pay attention to those lessons now if, if, if God's going to be the Father. I have been taken to the woodshed more times than I care to admit, but I'm so grateful that God cares enough about me to discipline me. You know, Monty, personally, like where, where I am with my life today, I've got so many balls up in the air and so, so many, so many uh, pieces of business out there that have yet to close and and you know so many so many opportunities that have yet to materialize mm-hmm. it is absolutely crazy i mean if if i could make money on opportunities i would be a wealthy man but so many of them have not uh not realized so yeah. many of them haven't uh haven't worked to the to the point where they're actually affording me uh money to live on but i do believe I do believe because I seek direction from God uh, that things are going to be okay. I don't sit around like like scared to death uh, about paying the next bill or, or anything. But that doesn't mean I'm not being responsible. I'm I'm being as responsible as I can be. But uh, but you know I know I know uh, I know what it's like to be in a, in a position where where you're you're unsure and you know uh, there are things coming at you that uh, that don't. Uh, don't look like they're they're really really comfortable things, but uh, but having that that sense of uh, of of peace and and knowing that God is the principal, the father, and the director gives me it gets me away from the fear that I would normally have if I was living selfishly and self centered. You know, I'd be I'd be freaking out at this point in time in my life. Uh-huh. It, and I think you know exactly what I yep, mean. I, I do, and I, I, you know, I, I can't help but think about uh, my sponsor told me when I said, "What is the difference uh, between being worried and being concerned?" He told me, "Well, if you're worried, you're not going to sleep. If you're concerned, you're probably going to be able to sleep tonight." And and you know, and I think if I'm losing sleep over it, then it's constantly on my mind, and I'm worrying about it and fretting about it. But, you know, if I can close the door at, at, at work and go home and be part of my family and not have that thing interrupt me, then I'm probably simply concerned and not worried. Yeah, I think we need, uh, we need to have a concern for our affairs. We need to, yeah. we need to be responsible. That's certainly part of, the, part of the spiritual life. But that fear, 
you know, yeah. that anxiety, that sense of impending doom that would follow us around as alcoholics, that, that's, that's a manifestation. That, that's, how, that's a manifestation of alcoholism. That's one of the ways it presents. And, you know, when you get to the, when you get to, to recovered, the state of recovered, yeah. uh, those are not things that are going to just devastate you, those, those emotional feelings. That shouldn't be part of your spiritual makeup anymore. That's at least what I, you know. That's been my experience yeah, and, I agree. and what I what I believe. Um, most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Uh, Bill uses a lot of construction references, and uh, anyone that doesn't know what a keystone is, is is you build an arch and you have to hold the arch up until the keystone is put into place. And, the, and then all the support underneath the arch can be taken away because the keystone holds the arch together. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so this, uh, this concept of God as the director, the principal, and the father is the keystone to the arch through which you will walk to freedom. So if you don't have that keystone in place, if God isn't your director, principal, and father, you're not going to have an arch through which you can walk to freedom. Mm. And there's there's many construction references in here and they're they're very important to pay attention to. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things happened. Each action step has a series of promises. Another thing that I personally don't like uh, is is in a, in a support group meeting, they'll read the 12 promises. Has that ever happened to you? No, sure. Okay, the 12 promises. First of all, there isn't the 12 promises, okay? There are many promises in this book. Yeah. It, if you counted them, there, there would be well over 200 significant promises in this book. So by putting a, a shade up on the wall that says the 12 promises, you're, you know, you're, you're short-sheeting you know, the people. You're, you're basically short-changing somebody by telling them there's only 12. And usually the promises that are read are the ninth step promises, which most people don't even get to because most people don't go through the work to the point of going out and making direct amends. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really agree with putting, uh, putting that carrot up on the wall without uh, putting it in context, uh, explaining exactly what you mean by the 12 promises, the Nine, the twelve nine-step promises, uh, but but uh, you need to at least be halfway through the ninth step before these things are going to manifest. That really should should be part of the uh, explanation. Yeah, yeah. We had a new employer, being all powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So, what are you going to need to do if God is going to start taking care of you as the director? the principal and the father. What do you need to do? You need to keep close to close him, to him. And, yeah. and perform his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. 
What about reading these promises at the next support group meeting month <laughs> instead of the ninth step promises? So that that would cause a little concern, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. And I I, I, I attend the meeting where where the promises are read uh, at the at the end of each meeting, and I've watched some people uh, appear confused. Because they, they don't know, you know, some people say, well, I've experienced some of that stuff now. Well, no, you won't experience it until the ninth step. Uh, and, and, you know, I think what people are experiencing uh, before the ninth step is these promises that, that you're pointing out that are here now, because I think we can have those now. These are unbelievable promises. Like, think about this, you know, we're, we're, more and more we become interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. That's, that's going to be a great thing. As, new, as we felt new power flowing, we're going to get power. We're going to get the actual power of God in our lives. As we enjoyed peace of mind. Remember peace of mind? <laughs> you know, <laughs> mind is, is just, is actual bliss. It's, it's, it's feeling wonderful. Uh, we'll be able to we'll live life successfully. We'll face, face life successfully. We're going to be successful. Uh, I mean, these are unbelievable promises. As we became conscious of his presence, we, be- we begin to lose the fear of today. I'm not afraid of anything that's going to happen today. I'm not afraid of anything that's going to happen tomorrow. And or the hereafter, you're not even going to be afraid of death. Mm. You know, we were reborn. Yeah. Those are yeah. pretty significant promises. Yeah. Pretty powerful. Really now, powerful. I'm going to do one more paragraph here. We were now at step three. So the affirmation of the third step prayer is we're affirming all of these things that, that we read here tonight. That's what we're doing when we say the third step prayer. Many of us said to our Maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I, may I do thy will always. Now, that prayer goes against every selfish and self-seeking and self-centered instinct we have, because that prayer is basically saying, relieve me of the bondage of being me, so that I can be of help to you. And that particular prayer is really amazing, because it it attacks alcoholism. Mm -hmm. If alcoholism is being selfish and self-centered, this particular prayer goes absolutely against that. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. So you need to think well before taking that step. Uh, uh, You need to be ready to abandon yourself utterly to God. And this is, this is why they found that the low-bottom alcoholics had a tendency to recover, and some of the people who hadn't been hurt that bad uh, still had a, had a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you are thoroughly convinced that life run on self-will can hardly be a success, 
you're going to embrace this. If you still think you're doing a good job or you're pretty remarkable, you, you know, you may not. So, uh, so again, they found in the early days, uh, in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of the people who were really in trouble uh, were at a point where they could abandon themselves utter, utterly to him. They had nowhere else to go. They were out of plans. And, um, you know, AA was very, very successful uh, in the early days with people who were really, really in bad trouble. And that's good news uh, to us today. But we don't need to be uh, as hurt as some of these people do. We just need to be paying attention to this stuff. Mm-hmm. We need, we, you know, we need to understand what recovery is about and not, uh, and not accept sobriety, uh, but insist on uh, recovery. Yeah. Good. Oh, I like that. We don't have to accept sobriety, but we need to, to, uh, uh, to, to bask. I really like, I like that word bask, basking in recovery. I mean, be, being surrounded by it and, and, um, you know, this whole thing about knowing a new freedom. Uh, I, I have to tell you that the freedom that I feel, and I, people say, you know, uh, feelings, you know, don't trust your feelings, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, there, feelings have, there, there's some real good reasons God gave us feelings. And the freedom that I feel today, Chris, I can't even explain it. I can't even, I can't begin to explain it. And I think the reason is, is because it's his freedom that has come my way. It's his power, you know, and I can't explain it. It's just, (laughs) I just say, hey, it's good stuff, man. Oh, you know, it absolutely is. Uh, So often our first impressions or uh, our our, uh, understanding of something is wrong. And, you know, when I was first exposed to uh, the the 12-step process, I really didn't see how it was going to particularly benefit me. (laughs) So imagine, (laughs) I was the perfect, I was the textbook case. And and yet, uh, I really had my doubts about this stuff. Uh, yet, you know, so, sometimes you just have to. Uh, sometimes you just have to believe that there's a better way and give it a chance. Give it a, give it a shot. Sure, sure. Well, we are going to be looking at step three next week, and I'm excited about that. And uh, in fact, my uh, when I used to have a CB radio, my handle was Third Step. Right. Well, thank you, Chris, so much once again. Monty, it's always a pleasure uh, to to, to be on your show. You're doing such great work out there. And listen, you're going to the 12-Step Music Fest. Have a a really good time down there. That's down in the Keys. You're going to – I hope the weather is great for you and you just have a great time. It's going to be a ball. And, uh, folks, those of you who are listening that are going to be there, make sure you stop by the the Take 12 Radio uh, booth. And we're going to be sharing that booth with Leon Lilly, who's going to join us here on the Take 12 Radio family, doing, uh, doing a show after the first of the year uh, surrounded around comedy and recovery. I know you're going to enjoy that. Uh, so come on by the booth. We want to talk to you, share a little bit of your experience, strength, and hope. Um, and I'll be walking around the festival with my microphone, so look out. I may just corner you, and you may be on the air. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Again, another fine show, Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder. Folks, don't forget to check out all of our shows here at Take12Radio.com on your Internet dial. And until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man 
along with Chris, wishing God's serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. (laughs) 